hit record. I'm going to go hit go ahead and hit record on Zoom. And I'm going to try to look okay. in the camera and smile as much as possible. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to the Rise Science Podcast. It's the show about sleep science, performance, and how to get more out of your days. I'm Jeff Kahn, the co-founder and CEO of Rise Science. We spend a third of our lives asleep. A third. And yet millions of people aren't getting the sleep they need. I've been on a mission for a long time now to help change that. To help people get good, healthy sleep and see huge improvements in their lives. Sleep is incontrovertibly the most important thing we do each day. And yet how we make sleep science actionable and applicable to our lives is under-discussed and misunderstood. At Rise, we work with companies and individuals to unlock the measurable improvements in the outcomes that matter most. For more information about how we can help you or your company, or to download our app, visit us at risescience.com. I started this podcast to have conversations with experts, industry leaders, scientists, the people that can help us better understand why sleep is so foundational, and how creating a lifelong practice of healthy sleep can fundamentally change your life. Our guest today is Craig Wartman, and I'm super excited to have Craig on the show with me today. Of all the sales leaders that I can think of, Craig has one of the most holistic views of the discipline, as a successful seller himself and as a sales academic. Craig founded the Kellogg Sales Institute at Northwestern, which is one of the only business schools to be studying the discipline of sales. Craig and I met about two years ago when he asked us to partner with him and a Fortune 200 sales team to understand how it is that sleep might affect sales metrics and performance. Things like how sleep impacts burnout and the role that sales leadership plays in promoting human performance on their team. After that meeting, Craig became an investor in Rise, a close advisor and coach, and a friend. I'm excited to talk to Craig about why, amidst the many things you could care about as a sales leader, he believes that sleep should be at the top of your list. Craig, welcome to the show. Jeff, thank you. That was a lucky day for me when we met. I am super excited to be with you, and uh, I, I just, uh, I'm really pumped for this conversation. I've been looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. It's been, been a long time coming, but, but here we are, and uh, glad we could carve the time. So I want to start the conversation. I think, you know, as I opened up, what's so interesting about you uh, in, in particular, at least to me, is that you have one of the widest views of the discipline. You're not just running a sales organization. You're not just day-to-day hitting numbers. Uh, you're really taking an expansive view about what the discipline of sales should be and what goes into repeatable outcomes. So what was your background? How, tell me about how you got from, you know, where it was growing up all the way to, you know, now starting and founding the Kellogg Sales Institute. Yeah, it's a it's a circuitous route. And it's, you know, I have, Jeff, it's been so much fun because I've gotten to see this thing called sales from a lot of different perspectives over the years. So as you suggest, I, you know, I was 21 years old working in uh, on Capitol Hill for a congressperson and um, huh. and took a shot at getting a, a, a job in IBM literally because I missed my family in Chicago. That was my precipitating factor. And one thing led to another. Again, luck enters into all of life, as you well know. And I got an offer from IBM. So that sort of started me on my sales journey a long, long time ago. That was, you know, 340 years ago. And did you even know you wanted to get into sales? I mean, were you like, you know, on Capitol Hill, 
Was that, did you know this was a thing? I mean, what was going no, through your mind then? I wanted to get home. So I, 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 I love, <laughs> and I still love Washington. I'm such a nerd about all the weird stuff happening in DC, but I wanted to get home. I missed my parents, you know, I missed my family. And so I really wanted to get back home and knew some folks at IBM and just got some lucky breaks and had an interview that went really well. So they started me on this career. And what I always say, Jeff, is, you know, IBM took a, you know, not dumb, but I always say like a dumb, scared kid out of Capitol Hill. And dumb, I mean, like, I didn't know business. I didn't know technology. I certainly didn't know sales. And they trained yeah. me. And and that, that huh. you know, that was magical because a long time ago, which this is, of course, IBM was known for what they call sales school. And it was one year, believe it or not. It was a year <laughs> investment in these crazy young people and they invested in me. And I, what I always say is I am forever thankful to IBM. I will love that company until the day I die because of what they gave me. Because they, you know, they took a completely unformed piece of clay and they helped me learn business. Then they helped me learn technology. Then they helped me learn sales. And then they coached me, you know, some days within an inch of my life to be, you know, <laughs> good first, you know, less than average, then average. Then, you know, I got better as time went on. And that, you know, just was consistent coaching experience. And, you know, I look back on that time very fondly, although, you know, I had some bad times there, too, where I just was terrible at what I did. And now I look back from the advantage of all these other weird perspectives I have. And I, I really think a lot about the really interesting things they did to coach us on the granular elements of, you know, living a good life and having that sort of infect is a bad word, but you know what I mean? It's sort of in, infused right. into right. our selling motions. And I, I, huh. I, I think about that almost every day that goes by. I mean, two things of that, two, uh, two parts about that story just strike me as just so interesting to dig into. One uh, is they're back. This is, you know, you were saying what in the eighties? Yeah. Well, nineties. Uh, I'm old. I'm not quite late that 80s. old, but late eighties. You're not. 90s. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Late eighties, early nineties. Yeah. And they were talking about that how you lived mattered for how you silt. That was like a thing that they believed. Oh, yeah. So IBM, you know, as many people know, and like the Googles of today and, and those, Jeff, I mean, IBM had and has a very, very strong culture. And, you know, the first thing they did is they told stories of the founders, you know, Tom Watson, huh. and made us read his book and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, at the time, being a young person, not knowing X from Y, I sort of rolled my eyes like, okay, we'll read the founder's book. And now I look back like that was really, really smart because they, they wanted us to be good people first and they wanted us to listen to customers and then they wanted us to sell. And it was kind of in that order. And, and that was, I literally did not, that did not hit my, the front of my brain until, I don't know, 10 years later when I started to grow up a little bit so and I started to realize that was really, really sort of sneaky in a good way and wise that they did that because you know we were very young and you know right you know we weren't dumb but we were just young and inexperienced and yeah. they they put a lot of stock into us i mean they put a tremendous amount of money into us trying to help us get good right what we now call get good at getting great right that i like that a lot that i mean it so it just strikes me as you know and again i haven't been a student of the game as long nearly as long as you have but uh just so fascinating that that one of maybe the top institutions that brought sales training to bear at IBM led with you need to be a good person first 
then you need to listen to your customers, then sell in that order. And that's just so interesting because it feels like it's coming back full cycle, this sort of notion of human-centered selling. But, you know, years and years later, here it is 2020, you know, and, and so you're saying, no, this is actually how it's been. Yeah. And somehow maybe along the way we got confused. I mean, what in your mind as you see that phase of sales, is that coming back? Is that where it is today? I mean, you work with a lot of different organizations. What are you seeing there? Yeah, that's a really great impact question, Jeff. So, um, you know, the honest answer is it's sort of all over the place. Here's what we're trying to create. So I'm going to I'm going to sort of be Kellogg Sales Institute centric here for a second, because Look, okay. like any industry, like any functional role in any business, there are trends, right? So, you know, right now, one of the big trends we're seeing is the challenger sale. And I have, you know, a bunch of thoughts about that. And that's, you know, that's maybe a topic <laughs> for a different day where we, uh, we need to show up and challenge our customers. What we're trying to create at the uh, Kellogg Sales Institute, and we're helping some of the world's most powerful companies, and we are so lucky to be able to fight above our weight and, and do, be called in to do that. We call it creating a strong, positive, and powerful sales culture. So that's what I brought forward, you know, 25, 30 years later from my, my experience at IBM, helping companies build a strong, positive, and powerful sales culture. And what that actually means day-to-day, hour-by-hour, meeting-by-meeting, is we're trying to help people find their best rhythm for themselves first and be the best person they can be and get good at getting great and then surround them with coaches. We have a very expansive view of what coaching looks like. In other words, everyone is a coach. I mean, you literally have coached me. I've coached you. The, the hierarchical yeah. or the relationship doesn't matter as long as there is a relationship there. It doesn't matter if you're my boss, you're my employee, you're my peer. As lo- or if you're just a great entrepreneur, I will seek coaching from you because you're a great entrepreneur. You have things to teach me. In the academic parlance, Kay Anders Ericsson, the guy who sadly passed away recently, but wrote a great book called Peak, and the Malcolm Gladwell book, Jeff Outliers, is actually Mm. about Kay Anders Mm -hmm. Ericsson. What he says is great coaches have a mental representation of what great looks like. You know, you're a great entrepreneur. You have a mental representation of what great entrepreneurship looks like, how to build a business. Why can't, even though I'm older than you, why can't I seek coaching from you? So we have this expansive (laughs) view. Now, that only takes us so far. Because the other really brilliant thing that IBM did is they made us practice. And that sounds really simple, and it's not. Because like elite athletes practice, they made us practice. But it wasn't just practice. It was practice at the granular level of what we call knowledge, skill, and discipline. So they teach us how a microprocessor works. That's knowledge. Then they'd make us role play how to talk about it with a customer. That's not knowledge. That's skill. (laughs) And then they made us do it over and over again, and that's discipline. And it was just fascinating. And again, we rolled our eyes at the time, you know, 22 years old, like, whatever, I'm doing this again. And then we realized, like, months later, I'm actually really good at this. They made me good at this. Like, I can get on that track and I can run it fast, right? Or I can shoot that basket. I can make it reliably. It's crazy. Right. And you don't even have to think about it. It allows you to be able to respond in the moment to whatever actually is going on beyond just the nuts and bolts of knowledge, skill, discipline. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yes. I mean, and and I, yeah. I don't know if I really answered your question to sort of bring it full circle. You know, a strong, positive, and powerful sales culture means that we can, that we're really good at the skills and disciplines of selling and the most critical ones to make sure that we're listening and hearing clients. And sort of, and I hope this doesn't come across wrong, but, you know, being the best 
people we can be in that moment. And that means listening, empathizing, asking great questions, helping them what we call unpack not just their functional needs, but their social and emotional needs so they can make progress in their lives, whether that's my solution or your solution. I should be that person in the room saying, you know what? We're getting to the point, Jeff, in this conversation where it's becoming clear to me that my solution actually is not the thing that will help you make the most progress on this problem, but I know who is. We say that's the second best outcome that a salesperson can have is not just saying I'm not the guy or I'm not the gal. It's saying I'm not the guy, Jeff, but you know what? I'm going to give you three recommendations of people who will kill that for you. Right. That's selling. And that's so exciting. Yeah. That's what really good, you know, and it's what's so interesting about it to, to me is, you know, I, we get on the phone with all sorts of EVPs doing a lot of cold emails, a lot of cold outreach and such different views about how to do sales. Well, you know, some have a human centered view like you do. Some are just, they're just running it by the numbers. And I think that's part of it, but, uh, but just fascinating to hear what's new to me fully is that IBM was onto this, you know, back when you started uh, a while back. And And, and look, I've got some, you know, know. I've got some availability bias and some confirmation and selection (laughs) bias here because I was an IBM or I was proud to be an IBM or as a young person, but, but they really were onto it. And, you know, now, you know, fast forward to today, there's a bunch of companies who are really getting this and it's really exciting to watch them understand like this and, and it's all, as you alluded to in your wonderful introduction, what's also fun is to watch the elite business schools, the elite of the elite, wake up to the, to the fact that sales is a discipline like marketing, finance, operations, strategy that you would find in any business school in the 1950s, right? Yeah. And here we are in the 2020s, and it's like we are waking up to like this thing is multiple. This, is, this has got multiple angles. It's complex. It's based on psychology, social science, neuro, neuroscience. This is as much sales is as much psychology as any other discipline. Well, and and so that's one of the questions that I definitely want to get to, which is why has it been neglected in the top business schools? I mean, it, Kellogg is still the first one, and it's 2020. It's not like Harvard yeah. has their sales institute. You know and, what's yeah. what's going on? Well, and we're you know we're I want to be careful here. We're not you know we may be first maybe among the elites, but there have been people talking about this for a long time, and I give them full credit as the pioneers. We're following in their lead. Um, you know, I have to be careful here because as a career salesperson, <laughs> this can come across with a big fat chip on my shoulder and I'll try not to do that. But I think we have traditionally looked at sales as a trade school thing. Less, It's a lesser of equals. It's this manipulative art where I'm reaching behind you and pulling your wallet out of your pocket. I mean, it's just tragic that we look at it like this. Sales is about yeah. helping people make progress in their lives, period. And being the best we can be moment by moment. And then, you know, here's the, and here's the chip on my shoulder. We also drive revenue. Sales is what brings yeah. Kellogg students. Sales is what brings Google billions of dollars of revenue. It's sales. You can call it whatever you want to escape that yucky feeling you get when you use the word sales. I get really tough about that. Call it what it is. It's called selling. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I'm selling every day. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with that as long as my mindset is right. And again, going all the way back to IBM, as long as my mindset is right and I'm truly not that person that's reaching behind and trying to manipulate you, but, because, but, but we hold sales to this double standard because do attorneys manipulate people? 
Do marketers manipulate people? Do entrepreneurs, look at Theranos, do entrepreneurs manipulate people for ill? Every single day, everywhere, all around the world. But we salespeople are the ones that's like, oh, use cars, yuck. Right, that's, we, we, we have to wear that. And so the beginning of every conversation I have with clients is, what is the meaning of sales? What do you think it is? I'll tell you how we define it, because if we're not aligned, we don't do business. Right, that, so maybe, I'm just putting some pieces together, Part of the reason that that you could argue sales has not been in the top flight uh, business schools and studied as an academic discipline is that, you know, it's almost like a chicken and the egg problem where because it hasn't been studied, it's been sort of left to trade school. And because it's been left to trade school, people have thought, well, I don't really want to study that. And it took a lot of people that had a lot of courage uh, to be able to say, no, the, you know, being talking about sales in the way that you're describing it, which is helping people make progress, listening to them, understanding how do we help give them the right solution, whether or not it's ours, you know, that is a complicated endeavor and every business does it. It's a massive function. And, you know, now you even have specialized finance within sales. You have specialized operations within sales. I mean, yes, it's, you do. It, it, it's just it is wild to me that it hasn't gotten more attention. And so um, obviously exciting that you're you're changing that. <laughs> We're but trying. So frustrating. And there's a lot of great people, a lot of great people trying. I mean, it's just, uh, right. it, it's wonderful to watch. I mean, it's such a fun time to be in this arena because it's fun to watch. You know, I give credit to my friend Bob Mesta, who was one of the architects with Clay Christensen of the jobs to be done theory. I mean, that's Bob Mesta's work. I mean, yep. he is, in my judgment, a genius. It is his phrase helping people make progress in their lives. And I, I sort of pulled that out of jobs to be done and put it and attached it to sales because that's how I've always thought of sales. And when he articulated jobs to be done that way, I said, my God, that's the same thing as sales. So there's just a lot of smart people. There's people at Harvard. There's people at Stanford working on this. People at Chicago yep. Booth working on this. Really fun to watch. Yeah, no, that's exciting. Um, so I want to transition a little bit into, because uh, I feel like I could talk all day about your background in sales. And I mean, we could just be all day there. Uh, but I want to talk about the time we met two years ago. Yeah. And it was when we, I, I was sharing some of the work we were doing with professional athletics. And I remember you stopping me uh, during me explaining what we were seeing and that how sleep, how important sleep is to these high, you know, high performers, that it affects every aspect of your emotional functioning, your cognitive functioning, your physical functioning. And you stopped me and you pulled out this white three ring binder with a bunch of different deals in it that you had seen all in the sales space. And I'm going to stop there. And I just want to say, like, what led you to be so interested in this topic when, you know, I think there's many, you know, sales leaders listening to this and that have heard our pitch or seen a cold email from us that are like, sleep sales? Are you kidding me? That is the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard of. Why is it so interesting to you? Yeah, I mean, first of all, you know, you are magnetic. So that there was that playing out. You know, I, I'm literally seeing this guy for the first time. And we're halfway through the conversation. I'm like, this guy's got a, he's got some unbelievable, he's obviously worked very hard, but he's also got some unbelievable natural talent. So that was just me nerding out on you. The, the thing that That's struck very me, flattering. Jeff, is what we know to be true of salespeople. The greatest among salespeople are the ones that are present to their customers. They're present. Yeah. And in order, you know, what you were unfolding in front of me was something that was probably, and I'm, I'm giving myself now way too much, I'm, I'm, I'm hindsight biased now, I'm rewriting history, so I'm giving myself way too much credit, but there was something in the back of my head that I knew that, because I, 
you know, I've developed a lot of discipline over the years. And one of them is sleep, as you now know, as you know, because we're friends. But I was seeing the academic side of it. And what you were doing in my brain was linking, making the linkage between what we know to be true about sleep science, what, what you know, I don't know, you're the expert, what you know to be true about sleep science and what I know to be true about sales. And that is great salespeople, they are present, they listen, they empathize, which literally means to feel with. That word means to feel with. And we, and, and lest anyone listening to this thinks this, I get fired up about this, lest you think this is soft stuff, <laughs> it ain't soft. There is tons of research over decades that indicates that those who are more empathetic, those who are more better listeners, those who are truly present, and that means all kinds of things, they are the ones that win, period. Yeah. And if and what you were doing, Jeff, real time in my brain was making that linkage, and I went, oh, my God, every sales organization needs this. And they, and again, back in their backs of their brains, they know they need this. They know, they know they need to show up as their best self in every moment of every day. Because that's the other thing that we always have to keep front and center of salespeople. We are doers. We're out there. We're the, we're the ones doing most of the meetings in a week in a, in a function. We're doing yeah. meetings and, meet, yeah. and, and they're all different. You can't predict them. Yeah. And so we have to be our best. So we, we are, I always say to salespeople, we are the elite athletes of our profession. We're the elite athletes. We're the ones on the field. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, and the score in sales is, you know, it's clear in other disciplines in other areas, but sales, it's particularly clear. You know how you showed up. It's clear at the end of the day, and it's clear what people are saying about you. So I think it is this, everything is left on the field. It's incredibly emotional. Um, and, you know, one of the things that, that we've seen in that tie between sleep and, and the, the behaviors that go into selling well are that, you know, sleep is one lever that you can control that basically makes you more empathetic, more present, able to ask better questions and this stuff we've known for a hundred years like it's not new and so it it is just you know like you're starting the kellogg sales institute in many ways it's just how do we make sure that we get the right people to be thinking about how important sleep is as a lever to sales success and there are many levers but this is just the one that's going to have the biggest return and so i guess with that I, i you know i am really interested in learning from you um, about, and this could be in sales, uh, it doesn't just have to be in, in, in sales, but just, you know, you're doing a lot every day and you have so many different things to juggle. Um, what's the one thing that you do that you find has the biggest return on, on how you perform day in, day out? And it's not just work, but with your family, being present with your kids um, and wife, like what, what, what have you found makes the biggest impact? For me in my life, Jeff, it's been, and it's something I learned after, after I left IBM. It took me a while to acquire this. Uh, sort of, it had to go through its progression of knowledge. Like I had to, had to figure it out, and then I had to develop the skill, and now it's a discipline. And that is, it's super simple, get up early. I mean, I, and I literally mean what I'm about to say. If I can, if I can give my kids one thing, my two kids one thing, it's, it's getting up early. It's, it's literally <laughs> changed my life. It's given me everything I have. And, and the reason for that, and again, this sound, maybe sounds soft, maybe sounds like a throwaway. It's not at all because a lot of things have to be true for me to get up early. I got to take care of myself. I got to work out. I got to get sleep, you know, and as you've taught me about sleep debt, like I, I now understand that much better than I did before I met you. I didn't understand it at all. I just had developed this rhythm and now I know why it works because if I get up early and I can move a bunch of stuff 
that is the detritus, that's a, that is the, the noise <laughs> of my daily life, of our daily lives, if I can move, if I can get through yeah. that and move it to the side, then I can be truly present for people. And that's made all the difference. It's made all the difference. Huh. And so I want to break that down a little bit. So when you say wake up early, um, tell, like just is that, so obviously you're getting enough sleep, you're waking up early. When you wake up, what does that routine look like from, you know, alarm goes off, or, you know, sun comes up, your eyes open. What does it look like from there to when kind of your day starts? Yeah, I, so I so I have a routine and it's, it's it, by the way, in the COVID era, it's the exact same routine. So it doesn't change, you know, other than having to go get on a plane. I don't do that anymore. And, you yep. know, I travel a lot or used to. Um, <laughs> so that's gained me a bunch of really interesting hours in the day or some. But my routine, you know, I'm up at 445, 5 o'clock, which sounds early. It's not because what I don't do is – and again, this is these are just personal choices. So I'm not – this is not – I hope it doesn't come across as judgmental. I'm not watching TV at night. Just don't do that, yeah. right? I read. Yeah. That makes me fall asleep often. I go to sleep early. I get up, uh, get up early. And then what I tend to do is I will work out. Did this very morning. Went, I actually went swimming this morning. So I swam this morning. And do you get outside? Most, most often, like is your exercise typically outside in the morning? Yeah. So what, so, so yes and no. So again, this is a little bit different now in the COVID era, but so I, I spent a lot of my time outside cause I live in a rural area. And so I go and swim cause we live on a lake. So I swim in the lake and in a normal time, I, I have a gym in my house. And so I go downstairs, you know, if it's cold, I go downstairs and, and hit the gym and do, do a workout of some sort. And even on days I'm not feeling it, I'm not a nut. Like I'm not, I do work out almost every single day, but I'm not a nut about it. Like it's not, not a two hour, like monster workout. You can tell I'm a skinny guy, right? But I take really good care of myself. Thanks to my wife and family and my part, you know, my partner who is my wife, we eat really well. You know, it's just all those things sort of the, the puzzle starts to link together, but it really begins with the habit that I, the, you know, the knowledge skill and then discipline that would then became a habit of getting up early because then that was the forcing function that made all this other stuff be true. Like if I can function at five o'clock in the morning and now in the COVID area, which is interesting, it's allowed me to do like literally tonight, Jeff, I have a session where I have to be full on energy at nine o'clock tonight for a, yeah. for a workshop to Asia Pacific because now I can get up early and do one to EMEA and I can stay up late and do one to APAC. Now, I can't do that every night because it starts to affect my sleep. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to give every listener just a play-by-play because I think what you've shared is so interesting from a sleep science and circadian science standpoint. And so I actually want to walk it through because I think the wisdom of your routine just fits so perfectly with, I think, what what the science of sleep has shown. And so when you think about you know, we talk about sleep debt and circadian rhythm as the two big ideas, right? And if you want to improve your performance, you've got to either get your sleep debt down or you've got to work when, when the be- with, with your circadian rhythm. Now, if you think about your schedule for a moment, let's just take when you wake up. So you wake up and the first thing you do is if you can, it's get outside and work out. Now, what's really interesting about that time is that first 90 minutes of waking up, you're chemically drunk. Your brain has a bunch of adenosine built up and you're tired. And the fact that you're actually going out and doing a workout is doing two things for you. One is the sunlight is actually telling your circadian rhythm it's a new day and giving you a very strong signal. And so that's actually making your night easier to fall asleep. 
without you even thinking about it. The other thing that it's doing is while you're at a low capacity cognitively and emotionally, you're working out. And so you don't need to be at full functioning emotional and cognitive capacity to work out. So you're taking advantage of that time to do something that's lower capacity. The other beautiful thing is that the exercise you're doing is also masking any of the feeling of grogginess that you're going to have. And so probably by the time you finish your workout, you're just ready, charged up to go through your day. And it's because of those combination of your circadian systems actually alerting you, saying, hey, wake up, wake up, wake up. And you've got that energy from the exercise you're doing. And so not only is, is that routine helping you that night get to sleep at the right time, but also really helping you ramp up to have then your peak moment, you know, that morning just be primed. And so I think it's a, in terms of like, you know, when people ask, you know, how do you manage your energy? And obviously sleep isn't just about sleep. It's about really your energy during the day. I found for, for myself, and actually one of the reasons Chicago so, is so challenging for me is that during the cold months, it's just hard to get outside. Yeah, it I, I, it's just an exercise, yep. you know, it's 15 degrees out and now it's warm. It's such a pleasure to get out. And so I get out in the morning, I run, and not only is it helping me that night, but helping me that day and, and using that inertia time for something low capacity. So when you say that, those are all the things in my mind of like, wow, there's a lot of depth of, uh, you know, wisdom behind what you do. And, and there, there's a lot of science that agrees with, you know, what you're talking about. Well, I mean, this is stuff – I love it. I mean, this is stuff you've taught me over the, the last couple of years, which is so fun. The one thing you're making me think, which is, you know, this is – I'm constantly learning. So not, I'm learning about sales. You know, I'm constantly learning. I'm learning about sleep. One of the things I have figured out – and yesterday actually was a good example. I had a ton of just thinking work to do. So it wasn't – call. I had some calls, but it was mostly just – sit down and build some learning designs for some clients. And so it's a lot of thinking work and going to you know, books on my Kindle and reading a passage and then going and trying to make it work and all that sort of stuff. And I had got, done my morning routine, got up, swam, whatever. It was in the middle of the afternoon. I was just grinding. And again, this is all new to me. So I'm learning how to be better at, you know, and under normal Craig would have just like, I just power through, like, I just got to figure this out. And I know... I got to believe, I don't know, but I got to believe my work productivity just, you know, like my intellectual rigor just goes down. So I got up yesterday, and again, this is the luxury of a Chicago summer rather than winter. I swam again. And it wasn't hardcore. I was just mostly splashing around, like just got out, got my breath going a little bit, got wet, you know, came in, took a shower, got back to work. I was, I felt like it was 530 in the morning because I, I, I felt completely fresh. And so I'm trying to get better at that rather than just A, powering through or B, which I haven't done in a long time, but I used to like go have another cup of coffee or a snack or something that never <laughs> works. That never turns out well, yeah. you know, to do, do yeah. a walk or a, it doesn't have to be a hardcore exercise, something like that. Yeah, no, it's totally just to get that reset of, of focus and work and, um, and even, you know, again, can you start to play? I would imagine for you, like one to three, because you're an earlier person, or actually even earlier, you know, around now to maybe 2.30 might be your lull time. But then you start kind of peaking up again around maybe 4.30 to, to 7, 8 o'clock, and then you probably start getting tired again. Um, so obviously, we'd have to look at your data. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's on that side. So I, that's really the bulk, I think, of, of what's what for me was really interesting. I think we talked about your background what it was like at IBM. I think some of the big takeaways there around human-centered selling, how that's not new, uh, but maybe coming back in vogue. 
and then the importance of sleep that it really powers what it means to be a good salesperson um, and that's it's such a controllable lever uh, and that is kind of filtered into something that for you has been so critical um, and maybe on next time I mean I'd love to talk about obviously the results we had with this fortune 200 oh my gosh so exciting to see uh, <laughs> it just it's a it's, I mean, what I, think, what I wonder yeah. is when everybody else you know and you and I are trying to push this but what what when everybody else going to figure that out because the results yeah. are ridiculous and amazing and you knew that in your gut you know four years ago when you got you know five years yeah. ago when you started thinking about this and the rest of us are catching up to you but we got a long way to go I mean there's a lot of sales organizations that could you know that would directly benefit like this fortune 200 you're referencing to just see that yeah. that lever is long it's got a lot of leverage yeah. yes and I'm very curious, the one thing before uh, I let you go is uh, thinking about the results there. Um, have you seen any, you know, we did really rigorous analysis. We brought in a statistician from UChicago who's now at, now at ASU, um, really worked closely with the sales compensation team, worked really closely with sales leadership to get it set up right. Have you seen any other tool? in sales, any other approach, I mean, even the challenger sale be like studied in an academic, you know, causal type of way. I mean, has that even, is that new? Is it not, you know, obviously for us, it's natural because that's how we run as a company, but have you seen that? So the short answer is no. I mean, bits and pieces, Jeff, have been studied, of course, and there's some research on that, but not, no, there's no, and it's never been, what I am not aware of is a, a lever as simple and clean as sleep, having that big of an impact, you know, because think about think about your you know your thousand person sales organization, you know, sales luckily gets tons of resources. So there's training, there's sales enablement tools, there's you know there's sales finance as you mentioned, there's all kinds of there's incentive compensation. Obviously, there's all those sorts of things. One lever that is so simple and clean as that to have in big debt. I'm not aware of one. No, I'm not. Yeah. And it's so, I think the thing that I'm excited about, and hopefully we can share more as we start to get the paper published and uh, talk more about it, is even just some of the methods that we use to get some of that causal. Because everyone says, well, how do you know it's sleep and not just the training and everything else we're doing? And those are really great questions. But, you know, statisticians have figured out how to do the causal inference well. Obviously, it's still tricky and nuanced. It's not easy. Um, but But, you know, I think one of the things to me that was so exciting about this is bringing all the right minds together that understand it and be able to say, yeah, it's actually this lever called sleep debt uh, and, and that that has an impact. And um, and I think the more that teams realize that, not only are, is it going to help the sales organization, but hopefully help people be better. And, and that's the thing that, that keeps us going, certainly. And I know keeps you going. Oh, it sure does. And, you know, I must say it so. adds, what, you know, as I said, I'm learning all the time. I mean, this informs how I show up for my MBA and executive MBA students to when I say, you know, you should sleep. Now I have research. I mean, it's not just a throwaway comment where they're like, yeah, well, of course I should sleep. Right. I can say, no, no, let's, right. let's unpack this a little further. That's my job in a classroom is to unpack things and get down to their research foundation and then build them back up and then practice. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Key. It's just been so much fun to have oh. this conversation. I know it's been a long time coming and yeah. uh, I always learn every conversation. And I think more than that, I always leave every conversation with you feeling 
better about myself, better about the state of the world. Oh, uh, and and that's just an absolute treat every time. So, uh, And I'm not the only person to feel that. You leave a positive wake, oh, and that's just uh, incredibly powerful. So keep doing that. Thank and Thank you, uh, lucky to Lucky to have you in my life. Oh, man, right back to you. Thank you so much for the opportunity to chat. Great questions. I love this conversation. Let's do a part two at some point soon. <laughs> part two is required. All right, Craig. Yeah. See ya. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Jeff. See ya. To learn more about how we work with sales organizations to drive measurable improvements in revenue and well-being, head over to our website at risescience.com. You can also email me at jeff at risescience.com to discuss anything you heard on the show today or to nominate a great guest. We'd love to hear from you. The Rise Science Podcast is produced by Candice Kahn and Lola Feiger. Music in today's episode is by Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks to the entire Rise Science team for their help with writing and research. I'm Jeff Kahn. I'll talk to you all next time. Sleep well. Sleep well.